In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Tommy Griffith about how to start an e-commerce business while working a full-time job. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 89. Today's episode is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM and a tool that I personally use for email marketing and automation. Now, if you're ever in an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. Drip offers one-click integrations for both Shopify and Magento. There's robust segmentation, personalization, and revenue dashboards to give you an overview of how your automation emails are performing. One of my favorite features of Drip is the Visual Workflow Builder. It gives you a super easy way to build out your automation world visually and see the entire process. It lets you get started quickly, but also build very complex automation roles. It's powerful, but also easy to learn, unlike a lot of email tools that offer the same type of automation. To get a demo of Drip today, you can go head over to drip.com slash BOE. That's drip.com slash BOE. Now, onto the show. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plesky, and I'm here today with Tommy Griffith. Tommy is the founder of ClickMinded, a digital marketing training platform for marketers and entrepreneurs. I asked Tommy on the show today to talk about how you can learn to start an e-commerce business while still working a full-time job. Hey, Tommy, how are you doing today? Charles, I'm doing great, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. I love the topic, um, kind of starting from like a side hustle to, you know, like growing into a business full-time. Um, so I feel like lots of people in that position right now where they want to start something, but they're working a full-time job. So what are some kind of tips to say, you know, if, you are, if you're listening to one of those folks, right? And you're working a full-time job, you want to start something on the side, but you don't really know where to start or if you can or what's the right way to do that. So what would you recommend that? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I had a pretty brutal, uh, <laughs> brutal story in getting there. Um, it took a long time and yeah, I wrote about it on a, a post recently of the, the whole journey. Um, I just had a lot of mistakes and the business I'm in now, um, I mean, it was probably, attempt number 15, right? Like it took a long time. The way I got started, um, you familiar with the four hour work week? Uh, yeah. Tim it's, uh, <laughs> I think everyone has it sitting on the shelf, sitting on a shelf somewhere at this point saying, right. Yeah, I read that. Exactly. Yep. It's like a religious text yep. for, for entrepreneurs at this point. But yeah, that's how I got my start. I studied finance in university, didn't do anything with finance and, uh, read four hour work week. My first product was an ebook, a really dorky hour, ebook. You read the four hour work week and it's like, mind blown sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's a religious experience for a lot of people back in, back in 2008, a little outdated now, but the, the core principles of, I think it was the, the, the Kickstarter for a lot of remote entrepreneurs, right? So, um, scaling teams, processes, virtual assistants, location, independent kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so started that with a really dorky ebook. Um, and actually, uh, did my first, business with a friend shortly after that. And it just went miserably, like so bad, borrowed money from family and friends, went into an industry that didn't make any sense, didn't have any experience on it, spent too long getting the product going. And it's interesting. A lot of people, they have this notion in their head, like they're working for someone now. And then they say, okay, I'm going to work on my business. Once I get some time, I need to quit my job and then I can start. I disagree with this a lot, having been burned, having had to touch the stove myself and, and really get burned by this stuff. 
I really like this idea. Um, a buddy of mine runs an entrepreneur group. His name is Dan Andrews, and he coined this term called exit velocity. Um, uh, he says, I got, I've got his uh, notes right here on it, actually. He said, uh, he describes exit velocity as the amount of professional and entrepreneurial momentum you have when quitting your job and starting a new venture. Momentum can come from a variety of sources, investment, capital, experience, anchor clients, industry knowledge, and connections, aka unfair advantage. Right. So if you're in that position now where you're thinking about making the jump and uh, and you haven't yet, I really like this idea of sort of getting that going right while you're while you're um while you're working for someone else and trying to get as much exit velocity as 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 possible be- before making the jump because i'd done it both ways i said oh i just need time to do this and that ended up being horrible right but but compa- working for someone else getting paid to to do something else and compounding all that compounding your connections compounding your knowledge compounding all that before you take the jump was really really helpful for me yeah i feel like a lot of folks um like misestimate the first time around how long it takes to get something going. You kind of have this thing and you see people that have done it before and you think, oh, like in three months. So you just have this like artificial number. And for some people, they actually can do it in three months. But for you, if it's your first time, you've never done it before, just like 10x whatever number, like whatever you're going to come up with, way longer. (laughs) Uh, You might get lucky and I might just be wrong. But more times than not, you know, if it's your first time, you're probably looking at people who have done it before and trying to get that same path. And it's really hard to get that same that seems slope on your, uh, you know, graph basically. Right. For sure. And is that, were you, were you completely full time on spark shipping when you were doing that or did that come about from working with someone else? So great question. It, um, ter- we'll turn the interview around. I like that. Um, <laughs> so what I actually did, I, so I was working full time and ended up leaving into consulting. Um, so I did consulting for a while, just kind of general stuff. And along the way, I actually bought a small e-commerce site. Um, I was running the e-commerce site for a while. I was like, oh, I need to automate some stuff. So I kind of just built Spark Shipping while consulting for the e-commerce site that I was running on the side. It was a small site, um, but it started actually getting bigger, and that's why I kind of needed to automate it. So it's kind of this how how this all started. Um, I like what you said about velocity, because what I had at the time, so I said consulting revenue, e-commerce, and Spark Shipping were all coming in, and I had this. Um, I think I called it the like the burn down spreadsheet of it was like savings and like basically like the income from the product. And I said, okay, well, if I like ended the e-commerce now, ended the consulting, I could live for X number of months. Like let's say it's eight, eight months of the time. And then I just run out of money and it's all over. And <laughs> like once a week, I would just go in and update the numbers in the spreadsheet and kind of see, oh, now it went from, you know, eight months to eight months in a week to nine months to, and it kept going. So as the money in the account was going down, the income was going up. And, but I had that velocity already, right? So I kind of could see the slope. So I kind of knew going into it, hey, in, you know, eight months and then nine. And then at some point, um, you know, it got to 24 months and it just went like to infinity, right? When it, when, <laughs> as soon as the numbers cross, right? It kind of goes to, okay, now I'm like more than I need to stay alive. That's, you know, I'm, I win. And that's, right. that was years ago where we kind of, and then I was able to say, let's end the consulting and the e-commerce, double down full time. But I, I know you're coming from because I took that same uh, very cautious approach, though, of saying, like, let's let's have that velocity before I kind of jump in the pool head first. Right. And that's the I mean, that is exactly what the exit velocity definition is, right? Like you 
took, you compounded what you were doing with consulting in the business you bought, turned it into a product that solved your own needs, but, but that was your velocity, right? The, the anti-example of exit velocity there would be you're, you're consulting, you're doing an e-commerce thing, and then you go create a product designed to optimize dentist's offices, right? Like completely unrelated. There's no velocity there, right? And so that's the that's sort of the thing. The other principle around this that, that they talk about is the thousand day principle. Um, it takes about a thousand days to replace your full-time income oh, at a job. Okay. I've never right? heard that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was really helpful for me. There's uh, and that's about three years. And so, like you just said, a lot of people go in, they get super excited and they hope that their, their Kickstarter, their Amazon product will hit and they'll be wealthy within three months. And it's just not true. It's just, it's a, it's a grind, right? Um, I wrote in the, yeah, and I think, yeah sorry, and I, go ahead. And I think some people can violate the thousand days, right? Like if you've done this 10 times, you know, every, you know, the shortcuts, you know how to do it. And you come on and you see these people that in like two weeks, they launch this ridiculous thing. And you're like, oh, I want to do that. And then you realize like, oh, they can do it because they've done it before. And they like, so there's like, that's, you, that's how you get the special pass. But if it's your first time, you might, you know, that thousand days might actually be accurate um, for a lot of, for most folks actually. For sure. And for me, yeah, my, my current business, ClickMinded, digital marketing training for, for entrepreneurs um, and, and marketers, we, I mean, ClickMinded was probably my, yeah, 15th try and it still took me a thousand days, <laughs> right? So um, it just took a long time. I think there's some debate actually about is a thousand days, a thousand days full time or a thousand days part time. I actually would argue that it's just a thousand days part time. It's like sometimes things just, they take time to gestate. It takes time to develop relationships. It takes time for Google rankings to go up and for your, your inventory to, to, to arrive on, on the slow boat from China, right? And like stuff like that. So it just takes time. And so I think really good expectations are to work on um, something where you have exit velocity and to expect about a thousand days, which is absolutely brutal to hear for people that are in cubicle hell right now and they want to get out. I know it's brutal to hear, but, um, I gotta be real. That's, that's about what it took me. No. And that's a good, cause you, you see all the time online, I look on a, you know, like Reddit, the e-commerce forum or whatever it is. And people say, Hey, I launched my product three days ago. I'm not getting any sales. And you're like, okay. Like oh, three, <laughs> where's three the whole Lambo? Yeah. Three whole days. Right. Yeah. Where's the Lambo? Um, <laughs> so you've done, you know, you've done this made mistakes and did the right thing. What would you say kind of for someone doing it now, kind of how can they avoid the same mistakes? Like what should they be doing other than just setting expectations? Cause that that's huge. Just knowing, just giving yourself the time horizon alone gives you that time to make mistakes, right? Cause you know, in that first month, you're going to fumble so many times, but it gives you, so just setting that time horizon alone, totally agree. Step one, what's step two of now saying, okay, I want to make these days count. Like, what do I do? So, um, it's a really good question. And this is why I like the idea of working on it in conjunction with where you're currently working. Uh, the, I think one, one thing that solves a lot of problems and the, the tech incubators will say this all the way to small mom and pop retail businesses or physical products. I've heard of, uh, mentors say this as well. Like, um, I see people that try and jump from, an industry where they have domain expertise into something totally unrelated. And if you're not in the tech world, it's called dog fooding, right? But eating your own dog food or whatever. But, um, if you're not solving your own problem, it, I think it slows things down a lot. Right. And so in the, in the e-commerce example, it would be a, 
the example would be a product you'd use. I started a small FBA business with a buddy of mine a few years ago, and uh, we thought of a million different things. We went through the classic route of you know using Jungle Scout, looking at search volume, like trying a bunch of different products. And the first like ten things we tried were all products that we hated <laughs> or we didn't use them, right? And it wasn't a um, even though they were good business opportunities, right? And we did all the classic calculations, like who's ranking for it now? How many sales are they getting? How easy would it be to jump over them? How, how, what are their reviews like? How easy is it to get the product? But like we hated the product and it was really, really hard on Saturday morning to wake up and be passionate about wanting to go work on it, right? So um, once we once we switched over to something that was it was a slightly smaller total addressable mar market, but we loved the product. We wanted to use it on weekends, and like I think one thing that a lot of people underestimate, even if you get really good at the Google Sheets calculations of like you know what's the, what's the opportunity, people underestimate that when you're first getting started, the the most important aspect is your own personal interest in the business, right? You are the engine that's going to drive this thing to the first, you know, $100,000 in revenue or, or whatever it is. And so keeping your own interests is really, really important. It's like a car engine that, you know, that, that needs to start. It needs to, it needs to be interested. And so I think the other thing to think about when you're doing this is like, even if the numbers all make sense, if you hate waking up on Saturday morning to work on this, you're going to have a very rough <laughs> road ahead of you. So I actually really like this idea of aligning your interest in working on this project first, like before all the numbers and before everything else, and then letting a lot of that momentum carry you towards it because it's just easier to figure it out, right? Like you're having a problem with keywords in your title tags or your rankings or getting reviews or fixing a, a, a problem with the product in the factory, you find yourself naturally solving the problem if you love what you're doing. I know it's cliche, I know it's corny, but, um, and I know that not everyone does it that way. There's plenty of people working on big businesses with boring products, right? But I personally wasn't able to find myself able to wake up in the morning on Saturday morning and work on the product unless I was in love with it. Yeah, I think it's not just even in love with the product, it's also in love with the consumers of that product. Like those need to be your people, right? Because you're gonna be, you need to be able to like empathize with them. And that's really the biggest thing. When somebody says, hey, this broke or this isn't working, if if you don't care about the product or the people, you're almost going to be like annoyed when you get that support request. Versus if those are the people you empathize with, you're going to be like, oh, wow, like I need to, like I, I want to help. Um, and you have this whole different level of empathy for the people as well. Exactly. And it's a huge aspect of it is understanding your, your customer avatar, right? Yeah. So... There are exceptions you can do it where, you know, if your wife or your husband is the customer avatar, like, you know, some or your roommate, someone you can say literally every day, get their feedback on it. You know, maybe there's an exception. But by far, the easiest way to do this is for you to be the customer avatar, right? Because then you know, like, would I buy this, right? Would I be, have a problem with this? How would I use this? What do I want changed? You're just, that, that feedback loop is just happening in your own head, and it's a thousand times faster than doing surveys, getting on phone calls, actually asking, sending people the product and asking for reviews, right? So empathizing with the customer avatar, I agree with you, it's it's super important. But if you are the customer avatar, a lot of that is solved for you. It's solved, and you most if you are, then you also know other people that are similar to you, right? So then it's very easy to just find people that look like you, basically. And same thing when I had the e-commerce site, I knew other e-commerce retailers. So it was very easy to say, all right, I have this idea, I know I need this, but you know, let me talk to three other colleagues and see, oh, do you guys have the same thing too? And realize, oh, we're all having this exact same problem. So we're <laughs> similar and we have the same issue. Let's do something about it, you know? 
Right. And that's, and that's exactly how it works is you, you solve your own problem and then it just takes you down that, that natural road. And is that how you grew like spark shipping? It was just like solving your own problem. And then you sort of found all the people that, that, that were similar to you that had the exact same thing and, and you, you gave it to them as a solution. Yeah. That's basically how it started. It, um, was first just used internally. It was the automation tool. Um, it didn't have a name. And then eventually he said, I think other people could use this and started talking to folks and said, Oh, this is actually a thing people want and kind of put the name on it, put the sign up page, that sort of thing. Um, and at some point when those, you know, lines started to get close to each other on that chart I said, all right, let's stop consulting, sell the e-commerce store and there's the business. Um, yeah, so it's interesting too, because, and if you think about, okay, we're talking now about just getting started and that's important, but this is the funny example I always say with, with friends of mine. The other thing too is we, you're, you're building this for the long term and you're going to be dealing with these people for the long term too, right? If it works, the whole point is for this to work, right? And for you to escape your job and do work on what you want to work on. But the point is for this to be a sustainable thing. The funny example I use, a lot of my friends all, all think this the same. When we, f we first got our IDs, turned 21 and started drinking, by the time you turn 23, 24, a lot of people say, I'd you know what? I'd love to own a bar one day. I'd, I, I'm, 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 I, I'm, I like drinking. I'm, I'm, good, I'm, at drinking. I'm good at drinking. I should buy a bar. I'm, I'm really good at drinking yeah. whiskey, right? I should buy a bar one day. And then, um, you know, I, I was a bartender for many years. And what you find, the, the, the fastest way to not want to own a bar is to go be a bartender. <laughs> because you find a couple of things. First is drinking on a Friday night with your friends at the bar, it's not the same thing as owning a bar, right? That's a very different thing. But but the, the also funny thing is your best customer, I hate to say this, but your best customers at, at a bar are some of the worst people that you don't want to hang out with, right? They're the people that are always at the bar, right? <laughs> and so um, think about that as well when you're developing your, your product and you're about to make the jump is like, who are the type of people whose problems you want to be solving for a decade? Um, right? Are they you? Are they someone you like? Do you like being around them? Do you like creating content for them? Would you want to be at conferences with them? Like a lot of people don't, they think very, very short term in terms of, I just want to earn my first dollar. And I get that. But if you're setting yourself up to create this business that you absolutely despise 10 years from now, then, then what are we doing? Right? So it's something we're thinking about. Yeah. What do you say though? So I was actually talking to a friend recently. Um, has kind of a full-time thing, started something on the side, but they've been working on this now for quite literally like years. Like it's, and kind of haven't launched yet and kind of they're just building, 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 but haven't done the actual big launch. What do you say to those folks and try to push them on? Cause there's a balance, right? Like you, you have to work a thousand hours, but you also need to be launching at some point. Like you need to not just like three years of development and then a launch, it needs to be launching and then developing the customer base over those times. So what do you say to the person there and how do you get someone to, you know, launch and then spend that time building the business and not just building the product. This is a great question. I have friends like this as well and users like, like this as well. Um, I would view what we're talking about now, which is when you go full time and when you launch as two entirely different things for your friend that has not yet launched, I would say they are screwed. Um, <laughs> I would say you might be listening. They, so there you yeah, go. That's, and that's fine. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be a jerk, but uh, maybe I can be the, 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 the bad guy, good cop, bad cop or something like that. But, uh, the trajectory that they are on is not going to work. Um, this, and this is why, this is why I really like this idea of, I guess my proposal, it's a great question that you just brought up. My proposal would be to be cautious about when you go full time, but launch way, 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 way earlier than you think. 
right? And that's the beauty of it. That's the safety net sort of aspect of it is it's so funny how um, how over how much people overestimate the 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 launch what the value of the launch is, right? My, my funny example of this is Airbnb, right? I managed SEO at Airbnb for four years and the founders talked about, about this all the time. They launched three times um, and like they would just launch and no one would come to the site and then they would just go back, re-strategize, like fix a bunch of things and then relaunch again like they had never launched before, right? And they just kept doing it. Like everyone thinks you, you only get one shot at launching. It's not true at all. People make that mistake a lot. They worry about their brand when there's absolutely no brand and no one cares. They worry about launching when absolutely no one cares. There's just no way to figure out if this is, whether or not this is going to work until you launch, right? And then every, everyone always says, no, but I'm different. No, I have an exception. No, this product is different because X. It's not different. It's never different. And there's ways you can launch, other ways you can launch too, even if it's physical product, right? And uh, a one-page landing page with an email opt-in uh, and $100 worth of paid Facebook ads traffic, right? There's ways to figure out whether or not there's interest um, before even spending a dime on on, on product development. So uh, you're, you do not have a business. You're not attempting anything until you have a landing page up with some type of enter your email or, or buy now button. Right. And, uh, that, uh, your, to your buddy, my very specific ta uh, advice would be you need to go live within the next 72 hours. Uh, and you're going to have, he's going to have a million different excuses. They're all going to be BS. They're all going to be kind of fake, like, limiting beliefs. I, I disagree with whatever his strategy is now launched this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's the thing where everyone has this thing where like I'm different or they have some reason. And unless you're, um, I don't know, there are probably some differences like medical devices. I don't know, like rockets, like things like that. You don't want to be wrong. Like don't, yeah. Cancer treatment. Don't be wrong there. But like when we're talking like, you know, like selling socks on Amazon, you can be really wrong. Like in the, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Like no one, you know, someone has like a problem with their sock. It's not, no one's going to die. Like, just, <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree with that. Just launch quickly and get out there as quick as, quick as possible. Um, totally agree. Yeah. And, and more specifically, we had, we found a massive advantage in my, my co-founder of the e-commerce business at the time was, was fluent in Mandarin and was on the ground in China. That's a massive advantage. But there, the biggest thing we had there at the beginning was negotiating uh, low MOQs, right, and minimum order quantities. You don't necessarily need someone on the ground that can speak the language to do that. But um, one one way to speed everything up, if you can, is you know the factory says you have to order a thousand. Try and find a way to wiggle around it and, and only do a hundred and get it way faster. Pay more for it. Do it, send it by air instead of boat. But like put more emphasis on getting inventory into the warehouse, into the Amazon business or into your into your closet where you manually ship them to get started. But get getting that landing page up and the first couple orders out will, will tell you a lot. Well, because it sounds like those first hundred or a couple, whatever orders, it's not even um, that's not your like actual orders. They're just tests to see if your real orders will work. Right. So you're not even really like the prices are almost you could pay double. It's almost irrelevant. You might lose money. Who cares? It's a hundred orders, but like get them out there just to see, can I even sell a hundred? And if the answer is no, then all right, well, you didn't waste the money, you know, spending a year getting 10,000 of these in a container and then finding out the same thing. So it'd be way better off, like you said, to overpay and find out that way and just use it as a test. Exactly. Exactly. We, our first minimum order quantity was 10 
and we we uh, we air shipped each one individually from China. We lost like forty five dollars on every order, but we got going. We had the idea and we started it the week after. Right. And so, um, it was, yeah, we lost money on the first 10. We lost money on the first 50. We started breaking even on the first five, well, first hundred. And then it took off from there. Yeah. What do you say to the people though, that they have, everyone has that, the kind of excuse there on, I don't have time. Like everyone kind of has this like time thing on like, I would, but I don't have time. Like, what do you say to that? Yeah, that's a good question too. I think a lot of that gets solved, like I said before, in being interested in it. If this whole thing feels more like a hobby slash solving your own problem slash, you know, what you do instead of yoga and brunch, <laughs> then uh, then it solves a lot of the the problem, right? Like your own personal interest in it is, um, is helpful there. The other thing too, um, uh, I forget what it's called. Is it called Parkinson's law or the theory of um, the basic idea is that whatever our pro when, whenever we get a deadline, our mind sort of uh, fills up the time. You do this in university all the time. You have a test on – if you have a test in a month or you have a test in a week, it doesn't matter. You're always studying the night before, right? And so like our brain fills up these tasks to be way longer than they, than they need to be. And so no, no matter how much time you give yourself, you always end up taking that much time. So if you say – I'm going to develop a new product. I'm going to give going to give myself a year. It'll take a year. If you say I'm going to develop a new product, I'm going to give myself a week. It'll take a week. And so um, I think you, you have to trick yourself sometimes in a, into like artificially constraining that. And if you don't have the 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 time, if that's your excuse, you're you're lying to yourself, right? There's there's all there's ways you can do it um, where you sort of give yourself a deadline and your brain will move things around. Oh, actually, no, I didn't, I didn't need to run errands today. And no, I, I don't have to go to the bank today. Like they're just, they're just sort of excuses for, um, what most of the time I find that it's people making up excuses because they're afraid to fail. They're afraid to look stupid. They're afraid to pull the trigger. And that's sort of, uh, what ends up happening. Yeah. I think people are afraid. And then what they do is fo focus on the product itself, right. And the product and like trying to make it perfect, trying to, trying to perfect some process. Right. And if you make the, the time is the actual, um, like when you're almost like the specification, the time of lunch is the specification. So like this has to be done in a week. Like that's like, it doesn't even matter what I do, but in a week or whatever time frame that is a month, whatever you're setting out. And then what the product looks like at the end of that will be very different based on that time frame, Right. So in a week, you might only be able to get up that landing page and a few ad words and you know, some basic thing, you might just be buying the product from like a competitor at that point. So like, it might be doing something like super simple and this like cheesy, you know, janky thing where you use like Zapier to whatever, do some bizarre thing in Google Sheets, but that's okay. Like that will be your product. And like, if you put that constraint, like maybe that's what you launch in a week and that's your entire like site, but it's, but at least now you have that. And now you can say, okay, now let's iterate and, or see what you get. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very biased. I'm always focused on the marketing and sales stuff first. Things like like rearranging it in your brain can be really helpful. What if you can take really high quality photos, start putting it up online, and every time someone buys, refund them before it's even done, right? Like all kinds of things like that. But the the other big thing to uh, uh, to think about, and I'm seeing a lot of this in entrepreneurial chatter in a bunch of forums and stuff I'm in. A lot of people when they're when they're going through this process, they're very focus on themselves. How can I make my life better? How can I get this freedom I want? How can I hit the revenue I want? And the problem is 
the first couple years, you're mostly in the business of getting your ass kicked. You're you're mostly in the business of you. The the whole reason why this works, why we can grow these business location independent businesses, is because you're solving other people's problems. And so, unfortunately, what a lot of people need to be doing that they're not doing is they need to be focusing on figuring out who their customer is and giving them a great experience, giving them a great product, solving a lot of their um, a lot of their problems. Right. And so, uh, you, the, the, the beginning phases of this is like figuring out those needs and realizing that like, it's not about you. It's about, it's going to be a long journey to, to solve other people's problems in exchange for a bunch of value. And so when people say like, um, I don't have the time, it's, it's a huge red flag to me. I think it's very unlikely they'll succeed because it's, 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 it's so self sort of focused from the beginning and uh the best entrepreneurs i've met it's like 98% of what they're doing is for other people and then once they've grown something super huge they take a little bit off the table yeah it's always um i mention the book on here all the time it start uh starts with why simon sinek yeah right. yeah. yeah and that's one of those things yeah, yeah well you have a totally different like you start with your purpose and like who you're going to be helping and you're just like almost a servant to those folks it's not so it's not like, how do I make money? It's how do I help this group? How do I do this? How do I move this forward instead? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's at least how it worked for, for us, right? 98% of everything we do is free. We teach digital marketing um, to entrepreneurs and marketers. And then uh, like that grew our top of funnel massively. And we've done, uh, we've been able to use that a lot to our advantage uh, since then. I have to ask, cause I think everyone kind of loves this moment in time though. What was it like that when you first quit your job, like everyone that's sitting and listening in a, you know, a cubicle right now, they have this kind of picture in their head when you actually quit your job and went full time, what was that feeling? What was that moment like? Yeah. So, um, so this was big for me. So like, like I said before, you know, I, I was working at arguably the best company I could have ever worked. I was at Airbnb. It was literally voted the best company to work for while I was there by Glassdoor. A lot of these tech companies, they're, they're like approach, they're like all inclusive resorts at this point, right? They're really competitive for talent, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. You know, the stock was going up a lot. The smartest people I've ever worked with the whole beanbag chairs and MacBooks kind of thing. Right. And so like, it was, you know, my parents thought I was absolutely crazy, right? Um, um, my mom, like, Tom, you quitting your job in this economy? I mean, my God, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, it, it was really, I really liked my job, but I was actually over San Francisco. I was very annoyed with San Francisco and really wanted to get out. So that, that was sort of pushing me. Um, but the day I quit, I, I actually really did a disservice to myself and, and messed this up a lot because I was sort of planning my exit for a long time. And, you know, I started looking at this sort this whole Tim Ferriss for our work week digital nomad thing was was very big to me. Not sure how, how familiar your audience is, but yeah, people that they leave the country, they go work on an island and they grow their business and travel and work and kind of thing. And I was really it was really romantic to me. And I really got obsessed with it. And Saturday morning was planning it. And um, I actually the big mistake I made before I quit was I gave myself way too much time to plan it. Right. And I've really set expectations for myself so high, right. That I just sort of was, was figuring out what my escape would be for so long that my expectations went nuts. Right. I'm going to grow this huge business. I'm going to live in Bali. I'm going to meet all these cool people. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when I left, the, the, with the first days and weeks I left, it was incredible. I felt uh, relieved. This mental like weight was off my head of just regular company stuff. But when I actually made the jump, I left the country. I, I moved to Bali. I was working on my business. And like, oh, wow. So you did I, it. You did the Bali. You you did the whole thing. I, you were. The I did it. Okay. There you go. So you I went did to Bali. It. Yeah. Exactly. All yeah. Right. So I, I I left San Francisco and I've been traveling for about two years, um, and did the whole thing. And um, the first month was a disaster. Like, you know, I arrived, I got robbed by the police my first day. I got food poisoning. I invested all this time and money and effort into the new aspect of the business with this new video. We have our our products, a digital marketing course, and all the video was nearly ruined. Um, like my, uh, the, the business started failing. Like I just, I had, I was just sitting there. I remember looking up at the sky. I'd just been robbed. I was looking up at the sky. I was sick from food poisoning. I just paid all this money to film this new course. And I'm thinking about like all the unlimited quinoa I had at Airbnb. And like, <laughs> why did I leave? Right? <laughs> like, what did I do? And that's uh, not, that's a realistic story though. That's what, that's what happens. You get food poisoning and yeah, you think about that free quinoa. Exactly. Yep. You, go on, you go on Instagram and you see all these attractive people on laptops drinking coconuts and I'm sitting there throwing up in my, <laughs> in my, in my, uh, house in Bali. Um, so it was a pretty brutal start, but I think a lot of it, and then, you know, of course we recovered, the business started to take off after a bunch of additional failures afterwards. But I think the point was, um, you know, that Instagram style level of expectation was absurd. And part of the problem was I built up my head a little bit too much. I'd set my own expectations too high. And I gave myself too much time to envision my perfect life now. Right. So, um, yeah, but outside of that, like, um, I think the biggest thing when you when you quit the day you quit and you know that you're all in is and regardless of the company, the company I worked for was great. But even at a bad company or a a massively faceless company, um, the level of the biggest weight off of my shoulders was the realization that so much stuff you care about day to day um, didn't matter disappears right the meeting with whoever the office politics with whoever it's not particularly bad i'm not talking negatively about any particular company i'm talking about the regular human psychology we have when we work with a lot of other people right it's just like the stuff that you thought mattered so much it disappears and it gives you that freedom and that space to work on what you want to work on and solve your customers problems and all that stuff and so i think that was the biggest thing for me was like Oh my God, 90% of all the things I was thinking about all day, they just disappeared in one day. Like they were fake. They weren't real problems. They weren't real things. They were things that were sort of artificially holding me back based on just how modern companies are designed. Yeah. Well, they're real problems. They're just now someone else's real problems and not yours anymore. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The weirdest thing is when you first go to, uh, you have that instinctive thing where you're like, Monday morning, you go to check your work email and you realize, oh, it's, I don't have access to that anymore on my phone. And you're just like, all right, well, close that down. Got to go do something else. Right. They, they they lock you out and you're like shocked. And then you realize like, wait a minute, this is the greatest moment of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, at first you get a little offended and you're like, oh, wait, hold on, I asked for this. So yeah, I think we've all we've all done that where you're like, oh, my, I can't log into my email anymore. And you realize it's not your email anymore. Um, was, that, was it a similar thing with you? Like when you when you quit and, and left full time and on that Monday morning, like, what did you do? 
I even remember on that uh, Friday, it was we went off a bunch of people from the company, went off for lunch, um, went off for lunch, went to a bar after, kind of had farewell drinks. And then everyone said, all right. I'm like, all right, guys, you want another beer? And they're like, we have to go back to work. And I'm like, oh, I don't have a <laughs> job now. <laughs> so I'll see. And I just like sat at the bar and I'm like, all right, well, I got to go do something. And it was like hanging at the bar, hanging at a bar. I had a couple of beers. You know, it's like 2 p.m. on a Friday and you're like, OK, I guess I should get started. So just like go home and start work. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, like you said, it's a very surreal experience because you kind of built it up for so long. And this, I was going off to do consulting at the time, but even that, you know, like, wow, it just, it all just happened all at once. And it kind of goes from like, like you said, you're building up, building up, building up. And then all of a sudden it just happens. You're like, oh, wow, this is real. Like this is real life now. Do you, I often talk about um, this with a buddy of mine. Uh, do you ever think about like, okay, gun to your head, you had to go back to work next week. Would you be able to? I don't know. I don't know if I ever, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah, probably never in the same capacity, same way. I think though, being on your own gives you a, it gives you these odd skills that probably are very useful in a full-time job. Um, like when everyone says, I'm a, I'm a self-starter, you know, on your resume. And you realize, like, uh, are you? Like, no, nah, you're not. <laughs> yeah, like until you, you know, go to Bali and kind of get robbed and have food. Until you go through those things and you realize and you recover from that, you're like, all right, I'm a self starter now. So you kind of realize what that actually means. So there are some skills I think that um, entrepreneurs, you know, let's say I know a lot of folks that have gotten acquired and they go back to work for the parent company. Um, and I think a lot of the skills are very transferable. So. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I agree with you completely. You have to, when you, when you have to go out and drag it home every night for yourself. And like, I equated, I equated a lot to when I, when I finally, um, moved out and got my own apartment and didn't have roommates anymore. Um, I was, I was, a I was a really bad roommate when it came to the dishes. And when I moved into my own apartment, um, you know, and didn't do the dishes and you come back to the sink after day two or day three, it's like, Oh, those, uh, those dishes are still there. Huh? Right. It's like, it's like that, but for your bank account, right? Like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't do any work yesterday. That, that revenue is not, it's not coming in every two weeks. Right. And so, um, I, I wrote in the, the post I wrote kind of summarizing the last two years of my life of going full time on this thing. I wrote about how, you know, uh, you know, three years into the side project, I thought I was killing it. I thought I was doing really, really well. I thought I had made it. Um, and I was walking as I was writing the post, I was walking down the street and I walked past a, a general, uh, or a Panda express, um, a fast food Chinese chain here in the U S right. And in the window, it said now hiring regional managers paying $65,000 a year. And I was like, what? And I went back and I did out the math and even though I thought I was killing it with my side project, I did out the math and I would have earned more revenue managing a Panda Express over three years than I would have with my business, <laughs> right? Because it was such a slow start. And it, it made me sort of realize that like, um, it's, it's really hard to start your own thing. It's really hard to get someone to buy your product. And a lot of people take this granted, like, I think it's, it's very reasonable to be nervous to question whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze because I was sitting there. I thought I was killing it with my business, but, um, a, a safe salary at a job that doesn't even require a college degree, managing a Chinese restaurant would have been, would have generated more revenue. Right. And, and so and that's a salary. Um, but then if you look at the hourly rate, 
then you get really upset. And then you realize, oh, wow, I'm not working 40 hours. I'm working a lot more than this. So then it gets even, you know, that's the salary. Now put in the hours and it gets even worse. Even worse, for sure. Um, the, exactly that happened when I was first starting my business. I had was teaching someone individually one-on-one. The course was, was $500 for the day. And then they asked for a promo code. And then there was a revenue share with the co-working space. And then I had to print out materials. And then I would buy the guy lunch, Eventbrite fees, PayPal fees, California tax. And I was looking at it. I, I was making $12 an hour. And San Francisco minimum wage was $13 an hour. There you go. <laughs> so yep. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so it's not all roses and sunshine, but there are some, there are some benefits. So don't want to undersell it, but yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from on that, that beginning. It, uh, it, it's a, it's a long, slow ramp, right? It definitely, uh, it takes time. For sure. Which is why I'm a huge advocate of launching before you're ready, but, uh, using exit velocity of where you currently are to try and, uh, let that compound and gestate as much as possible before you take off. Awesome. I love it. I, I could talk about this all day, but I think that's a great place to wrap right there. Um, so if people want to check out that post or learn more about you, where can they do that? Yeah, they can see it at clickminded.com. Um, we have a D digital marketing strategy guide for free. If you want to check that out, an SEO checklist, maybe I can give it to you for the show notes, but, uh, and we'll put the post in there as well. And now on Twitter, I'm at Tommy Griffith. Awesome. I'll link to on the show. It was a uh, great chat with you, Tommy. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it.